Uh, all right, one more episode from the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 11. We're just going to walk through it today verse by verse and make some applications. Um, again, Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can be confident that you're going to speak to us through your word that is living and active. I pray that you would encourage and you would make your word clear. Through Christ I pray. Amen. Um, so I've said before that um, I think the book of Revelation is a series of stories. It's an unfolding of a revelation of Jesus Christ, of our relationship with him that is first of all encouraging to John and then to the people in the first century and to Christians of every century. And if we just read it and allow it to interpret itself and allow scripture to interpret it rather than trying to do weird stuff um, with numbers and whatever that, that are imposing our views that are just out of our experience and not out of scripture, I think that it would be so much more meaningful for all of us. So, 11th chapter, one of my favorite chapters in, in um, Revelation. Let's read through it. Um, I was measuring a reed like the uh, a rod with these words, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count those who worship there. Um, this takes us back to Ezekiel, maybe re- reminds us of Ezekiel going around measuring the the, uh, the the temple, but he's not really measuring the temple, he's measuring people. Um, but exclude the courtyard outside the temple, don't measure it, because it is given to the nations that are uh, that will trample the holy city for 42 months. Now, what does that mean? Allow the passage to interpret itself. Don't make a big deal about it. I will grant my two witnesses authority uh, to prophesy for uh, 1,260 days dressed in sackcloth. What are you supposed to do with that? That's three and a half years. That's half of seven years. It's kind of like, huh, seven years is a perfect number. Half seven years. wonder what that's about. Is something incomplete about that? I don't know what's going on, but I'll just kind of read it, see see where it goes. And these are the two olive trees. Oh, olive trees. We think about, uh, uh, um, I think it's Zephaniah, where there are olive trees that are associated with God, God's people. And two lampstands. Oh, we think of lampstands at the first chapter of Revelation. The the lampstands represent God's churches, God's people. Okay, these are God-associated things. These two witnesses are two olive trees, two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anybody wants to harm them, Fire comes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. These are guys with real authority. They're associated with God. They are good guys. They have godly authority. They have real power. They have authority, verse 6, to close up the sky so it doesn't rain during the days of their prophecy. Wait a second. Who's, who, who do you remember prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Oh, that's Elijah in the Old Testament. That's kind of like Elijah. These are kind of like Elijah people. And they also have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague wherever they want. Huh. So they're kind of like Elijah. They're kind of like Moses too. These are good guys that have God's power. You get the picture. It's a wonderful picture that's being um, portrayed for us. These witnesses, they're they're Elijah types. They're Moses types. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration. Who shows up to talk to, to, to Jesus? Moses and Elijah. Okay, I mean, these are like the two big guys in the Old Testament. And these witnesses are associated with them. Wow, this, they have real power. They have real authority. Verse seven. This is kind of confusing. Verse seven. When they finished their testimony, 
the beast comes out of the abyss, rut-row, and will make war on them, conquer them, and kill them. But wait a second, I thought they were like on God's side, and they couldn't be conquered. What's with this? They got conquered and killed? This is kind of confusing. Their dead bodies will lie in the main street of the great city, which figuratively is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. Now, wait a second. First of all, whenever you have a triplet like that, it's usually like communicating a whole message. When you think of Sodom and Egypt and Golgotha, where Jesus was, you were thinking about three of the most, three places of great evil. God destroyed Sodom for their evil. Egypt is what Moses had to, you know, bring the plagues because of their evil. Golgotha, do we even talk about the evil that was, that was done, that the one who was perfect was crucified and mocked. So this place where they are is associated with like the worst things in history. This is real evil stuff. And some of the peoples, tribes, languages, and nations will view their bodies for three and a half days and not permit their bodies to be in a tomb. Those who live on the earth will gloat over them and celebrate and send gifts to one another. It's like Christmas time to celebrate the good people dying and being killed. Gifts to one another because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. Think of what it was like to be God's people in Egypt tormented. Think of what it was like to be Lot in Sodom and the evil people mocked you for wanting to be godly. Think of what it was like to be Mary, the mother of Jesus, at the crucifixion. That's what the scene is like with these two witnesses who are killed. This is those people mocked God's people. So here, the evil people are mocking God's people. They're mocking not just God's people. They're mocking God himself. They feel like they've conquered God. They're bigger than God himself. It's really a powerful scene. Verse 11. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God enters them. And they stood on their feet. Great fear fell on those who saw them. I love this. <laughs> you know, they think they're dead. They think they've conquered them. They think, yeah, we, we're on the right side of history. We got the power now. We, how dare these guys preach against us? And all of a sudden it's like, rut row, these guys are alive. We didn't really get the last word. And so great fear fell on those who saw them because they are the ones with authority. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched them. They are victorious. <laughs> and at that moment, a violent earthquake shook the place. A tenth of the city fell and 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. Survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe has passed. Take note, the third woe is coming. I love that episode in the book of Revelation because it reminds us. I mean, is that not 
Is that not the story of Christians in history? Is that just not the story of John in the first century? You know, Nero looks like he's in power. The, you know, the evil Roman governors and, and, and emperors look like they're in power. Um, the church is persecuted. You know, Paul gets beaten up and left for dead. The, uh, you know, Stephen gets martyred and James gets martyred and, and, and eventually, you know, Paul gets martyred and, and, and Peter gets martyred. It's just like, and they get scattered throughout the Roman Empire by persecution. And it just look, and you can just imagine the people who hate the church, because don't tell us how to live. Don't impose your morality on us. Don't tell us that our religion isn't good enough, you know. Um, and they think that they've won. They think that they've had this great victory because they've been able to chop off Paul's head and crucify Peter. But the reality is things are not always as they appear to be because Peter and Paul, John, those faithful first century Christians, they were the victors and the world was not worthy of them. Think about our world today. Think about how defeated the church appears. Churches are smaller. Um, people are leaving the church all the time. Uh, Christians are compromising their beliefs. I just read this past week that Amy Grant is going to host a homosexual wedding. So many people that call themselves Christians are turning away from biblical truth, are taking the sign of the beast. They're thinking like um, the world and they're acting like the world. And I'm not wanting to sound self-righteous or like superior, except to say I, I'm, I'm vulnerable as well. We all can be tempted to compromise. And then you read the book of Revelation. And then you read about those two witnesses. And the reality is they're on the winning team. And it looks like they're killed. It looks like they're defeated. And the world seems to celebrate and feel like it's victorious. But there's coming a day when God will raise us up. And those who mocked God will realize the truth, will realize what love really is. And so the challenge for John and the challenge for those first century Christians and the challenge for us is the same. You hold strong, hold fast, understand scripture, stand in the word, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, be faithful unto death, and you will receive the crown of life. But it's strength for victory, it's worth it all. Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the encouragement of your word. I thank you for these pictures in the book of Revelation and that it is so practical and encouraging. I pray that these pictures will speak a thousand words to us to encourage each soul. Through Christ I pray. Amen. Unless you demand more, I'm done with the book of Revelation for a while. Next time we'll go on to something else.
Hope to see you soon.